When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Today, we're going to talk about the universe as it inspires the creativity of artists. Artists throughout time and artists of all kinds, not only painters, but sculptors and the like. That's very interesting. Well, I, I've liked it because I've, you know, scientists, we hang out together and, and sometimes we're not appreciated as much as we would <laughs> like to be for whatever reasons. And occasionally we see some of what we, our handiwork reflected in the creativity of artists themselves. And we say to ourselves, maybe we're becoming mainstream. Maybe we're creative and we're not nerds. <laughs> No, well, no. We, we, we. Let's take credit for that. Okay, I'll take credit for it too. <laughs> so actually, I, I saw enough of this happen. So a few years ago, I wrote an essay for Natural History Magazine called The Universe as the Artist's Muse. Dude, do you have a family? Do you ever not? You're always writing. You're like, I wrote a book about that. Well, because well, I got much what I do, okay? <laughs> inspired the symphony I wrote. <laughs> So it was You're an great, Neil. I'm I'm happy that I get off the couch, but that's great. <laughs> so no, it was an essay because I was impressed by how often I was being called by artists to get the latest image from the Hubble telescope where they wanted to find out the latest understanding of the Big Bang or black holes or Mars so that they can paint a, a scene, something inspired by I mean, it. even as a comic, you know, artists tend to look at where people, all artists, whether it's writer, or comedian, or visual artist, you know, we tend to look at the whole world. We look at everything over, under, I in, agree. out. I just don't think science was in that portfolio until recently. Well, science is, is part of the world. It is definitely part of the world. In fact, it shapes the world. And so I think science has come a, a, a long way in terms of being felt by the general public. And so let's see what Bill Nye has to say. Oh, Bill. Uh, Bill, he's, he's my boy, Bill. You know, Bill is, Bill, he's got to set the tone. He's a shaky little manic man we love. <laughs> Bill, give hey, it to me. Bill Nye, the science guy here. When you think of a planet in your mind's eye, what do you see? Many of us see Saturn, but no one could envision such a thing until astronomers, starting with Galileo, drew sketches of this and other worlds. I've seen Saturn rings, Saturn brooches, Saturn ladies' pumps, dress shoes with jeweled Saturns instead of bows. How sexy is that? With images of distant stellar clouds and uh, our so-called nearby worlds, we can make planetary art from photographs. If you've never taken a bit of time with the Voyager spacecraft's pale blue dot, well, you must. And thanks to a spacecraft named after another astronomer, Cassini, you can see our world through the thin rings of another. You can see the Earth beyond the rings of Saturn. Back 
backlit by the sun. It's a photo. It's astronomy. But for me, it's inspirational. It's art. This is Bill Nye hoping that after we're done star talking, you do a bit of star looking at the works inspired by distant worlds and heavenly wonders. Dude. That was very deep, Bill Nye. Bill is deep in one minute. That's a Bill Nye minute for you. you inspirational. Know? Yes, yes. And, you know, when you think of the first of the artists to be fully scientifically inspired. I was just going to say, who are we going to talk about first? You gotta, it's got to be Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci. There's, no, no, there's nobody like him before or since. I mean, here's a guy who, who was on top of science. He was all over engineering. He was uh, architecture. And, oh, by the way, he painted on the side. You know, this guy, and he, he used to do experiments in phys- physics experiments. The word physics didn't quite have it was defined back then, but he would do experiments in motion and weights. And, th- and wait, now he did this for his art? Well, I, I, I don't know if it's for his art, but he did it in a way that then influenced his art. I don't know if that was the point of why he did these experiments. He was a smart, curious guy. You're smart and curious, you play with so stuff. So he was one of those guys that activated both sides of his brain? Yes, completely. If you okay. did like one of these scans on his brain, it would be firing in every every cubic inch that was in there. Oh, great guy to date. <laughs> What's the matter? <laughs> we'll come Nothing, at- I think he sounds great. I just, I'm just saying, some of these guys in history, I go, oh, he'd be a good, like Galileo, great yeah. boyfriend, Da Vinci, not so much. Well, he's okay. Well, because he'd be too distracted by his own thoughts completely. rather than by you. And I like someone who's, yeah, like who's manipulated easily, not <laughs> someone like that. That would but- not happen. <laughs> with Leonardo for sure. No, but but tell me more about him. Yeah, so so first he's considered one of those brilliant people who ever lived, and you look at his writings, all the the, the subjects that he touched: geology, physics, uh, biology, and on on the side he he was a painter, right? And so what, one of my favorite uh, parts. Oh, by the way, you, you know about his? Uh, he drew a first a, a, a model for a helicopter. It, it turns out it wouldn't work if you actually built it, <laughs> but but he's thinking about flying. He's thinking okay. about flying and not just saying, gee, wouldn't it be great if I had wings and I flew like a bird? He's actually trying to draw a machine that could make that happen. Oh, so he was one of the first people who started with machinery. Yes, yes. To bring machinery to the to the task of ideas rather than just imagining that you had wax wings like, like Icarus trying to fly to the sun. Yeah. He says, look, <laughs> dude, you need some machines to do and this. And that's more like who I would date. <laughs> right. So, so you've got this. And, and with Leonardo, he's, 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 he embraced... All knowledge. And with all of that knowledge, it infused into his artistic expression. How did it infuse in his art? What did it do? Well, okay. Uh, did, you, did you know that he... <laughs> Probably not, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he, he, he basically pioneered... Well, he didn't invent perspective. That's something that's been around since ancient Greece. But it got lost. It got lost until the Renaissance. And Renaissance is French for rebirth, and so it's the rebirth. And Leonardo of, was in the Renaissance. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. I'm going to show my ignorance. Okay, yes. so until then, let's let's go back a minute. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to like the Greeks and Egyptians and all these kind of people. Mm-hmm. Like first, okay, Egyptians when they did hieroglyphics, they were flat. Yeah, all those dudes were flat. Right, right. You lick them, <laughs> they're like, like they're all flat. And you never see like a three-quarter face of an Egyptian, right? They're always like side on. Yeah, you didn't see them walking right. into the distance. Right, There's right, none right, of that. right. None of that. They're flat. So <laughs> and they, there were arrows pointing like, then they went that way, and then they went that way. <laughs> so they were flat. Right. And, and then it's, the, the, it's the absence of perspective that, okay, that does then that. The, right. when, then who? The Greeks? Well, so, Did they have perspective? Yeah. Well, so, so, what, so perspective comes in, but it doesn't really take off, right? Not it's lot, there, no. it's discovered, they know about it, and it's it's used in the architecture, right? It's there, but you don't you don't see paintings that make full use of this until the Renaissance. And so my point is that the the physical principles of light and optics and ray tracing and and in the case of Da Vinci, he was he studied the laws of physics. Not they were not known as laws of physics back then, but he wanted to know how things balanced and how things would look if they were imbalanced. Because if you draw something that your eye and brain told you doesn't quite look right, you, the, it's not as convincing to you. So he wanted to make sure he understood how things worked. I took art in college. My mother is an artist. And as a kid, I remember one of the things she always used to make me do, and they make you do this in art class and in school, is they make, or in college, mm-hmm. they'd make you look at what you thought you saw and what you really saw. Uh-huh. And that's what it sounds like you're saying. Because like, sometimes what you think you see... It's not what's it's actually not there. Exactly what's there. Because your brain is messing with what what it is you thought you saw, right. and he's trying to get the the basic data there so he gets it right. My mom you know, makes me squint. You know, when you we, squint, you see what it really is. You know who we have for this week's Star Talk? Uh, I spent some time with Peter Max. Oh, that's do you a know big Peter coup. Max? You remember yeah, Peter Max from? And he's still around. He's, he's still a big pop artist. Pop artist. And did you know he's deeply inspired? 
by cosmic themes. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah, yeah. Let's check out what Peter Max had to say. Peter, I understand the universe inspires you. Is that a recent phenomenon, or does it go far back? It started when I was about ten, uh, seven years old, living in China. And I was near Tibet, and I met an older man who um, started talking to me, do you know about the stars and the planets? And I had no clue, and every day would talk about it. And by the time I think five, six, or ten days went by, that's all I would think about, and what I would go to sleep dreaming about it, thinking so about it. it took only a week for it to just infiltrate your, yeah, your mind and body. To jumpstart that, and believe it or not, it just grew and grew and grew. There's not a single day in my life where I'm not preoccupied with things about planets, stars, the universe. What is this whole thing? There's not a day that goes by where I don't think about it. I wake up in the morning, and it's amazing. Like some cosmic alarm clock talk, opens my, my eyes, and I think about the universe. I don't think the bed I'm sleeping in. I don't care what day it is. I don't care what today I have to, what, what it is I have to do today. The first thing is the universe, the cosmos. Then I've got to calm this down, and then I look at my sheet, what I've got to do today. <laughs> so but the first thing is the universe. So you've got it bad. I got it bad. You got it, you got it so bad, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. That's why when I'm with you, see you on TV, talk to you, even hear your name, forgive me, but I get so inspired by that. He's so nice to me. Forgive me, he says. That's that's so beautiful. You're his muse. He didn't have to say that, but that was, that was so nice. So He's Peter Max, lovely. if you remember Peter Max, he wrote all those love posters from the 60s. And, and yeah, yeah and, and, and it's like he was the, the artist of a generation. Oh, my then. gosh. You still see all like T-shirts that have the peace sign and yes, the hearts, and the, the, hearts. Have the big hearts that he did. It, and um, I wanted to say what, what he said I thought was so sweet about waking up and how the universe inspires him like he doesn't think about his bed that's what i'm saying like artists are so neat because they think in such a bigger a bigger canvas yes and the universe i think is inspirational because it's infinite i wonder it's not i wonder if any listeners if anything about science or space inspires them either artistically or otherwise i know it inspires me and i'm a scientist it inspires peter max and inspires me and then he's an artist and 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 lynn and i'm you know something like an artist and you know with da vinci so call us wait call us Oh yeah, right. sure. I got it. At eight seven seven five Star Talk. Give it, tell us, us what inspires you from art. I mean, from from science. Yeah, yeah. Let us know because there are many people who are inspired, who are creating art, who are making a difference in this world. And I'm I'm charmed by that because, like I said, to see artists get mainstreamed in that way, if it becomes the subject of, of art, to see science get mainstreamed in that way, when science becomes the subject of artists, I think science has arrived in the culture in the ways that no one had ever imagined for it. Do you know, you know what Leonardo? You're just excited about about scientists being cool. <laughs> do you know what Leonardo did to try to become a better artist? What did he do, he, Neely? He, he's, he's drawing people, and so he dug up cadavers. Really, d- dug them up, peeled them open to see. Oh, the, gross! It's gross, but if you're committed to your art. You'll do whatever it. What do you do? We peel them open. See, this is again. We give. We, <laughs> They're dead. What do they care? They're dead. Who's Jeffrey know? Dahmer did the same thing, and he didn't get credit for being. He no, because he said the same he, thing. He, he killed them first. Them. That's different. Leonardo didn't kill them first. They're already dead. Oh, he just dug them up. He That's fine. Dug them up. That who's going to know? He dug them up, peeled back the skin. That's looked, weird. Looked at how the muscles came together, how they formed. He wanted to know what was going on beneath the skin of his subjects. Well, don't, don't they have an exhibit now that bodies? Exhibit? Yes. Yeah, which I haven't seen yet, but I've read about <laughs> you, it. Got downright giddy. No, because I want to go. I want to take my kids to see it so they can see. They're, they're creeped out. They're, I, my kids are eight and twelve, and they don't want to go. See that right they're, now? They're completely Neil. creeped by it. But I'm going to drag them kicking and screaming so they can see what bodies are. Are you really? It's human physiology. And if you create little serial killers, I don't <laughs> be surprised. <laughs> and so that's maybe the modern version. Take them to Madame Tussauds Wax Museum <laughs> where all the normal kids belong right now. <laughs> so the problem. So here, here's what's interesting. Had, if we had the bodies exhibit, which is in a lot. Of the big cities across the country right now, where they have they have they have people formerly alive shown without their skin, and you can see how the muscles and all the rest of the body parts come together in different poses and shapes and really. And forms. So it's like it's really like a serial killer Disneyland. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, no, uh, creepy, uh, uh, a demented serial killer Disneyland. Oh. Yes, because yeah, serial killers just kill people. You got to be demented enough to peel their. Their skin back and see what the muscles are doing. But I do understand why they would, why Leonardo would have done that. If bodies exhibit existed back then, he wouldn't have to dig up cadavers. That's my point. And I just saw a thing on National Geographic because you know all my knowledge of everything is from you or television. Okay. I just saw a thing on National Geographic where they had found these um, 
pterodactyls. Okay. And they did the, the, that very thing. They had found just the fossil, just mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. skeleton, and they took it and they did the, they put the skeleton through a CAT scan. All right, all right. Which to I see what was, was inside. Really weird, but there was nothing inside, of course, because it was a skeleton. Right. But they they could they drew art artistic pictures of, and then they could figure out what would have gone in there all by right. what was. Missing. There you go. Isn't that kind of cool? You, you don't have a pterodactyl cadaver, a, a little cadaver, so you do the best, the next best thing you can. What's missing? That's how you figure it out. And you know these these bodies that are in the exhibit, they're preserved. You know, there are different ways you can preserve human flesh, and one of them is you'd sort of dip it in acetone, right? That well, gets rid of sort of the moisture this. and the water. I'm mean, so you know. And then they have to sort of keep. Then they have to like keep it keep its shape. So they infuse it with silicone, which then hardens the tissue, oh, so that then it can stay on display, like Pamela Anderson. Well, she's alive. <laughs> I don't know what well, fraction of her body weight is silicone. I uh, don't know about uh, that. Lisa Rena, <laughs> Pamela Anderson. So they would not need to be prepped if they were donated their body to this exhibit. Is that was that what you're saying? Because they, you know, they they're pre-made for the exhibit. Is oh yeah, <laughs> I'm saying they're going to last for a long time. They'll be around with roaches and cheese whiz. <laughs> And, and Twinkies, don't forget. You're listening to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. My day job is as director of the Hayden Planetarium in New York City. Uh, we are live in Los Angeles and Washington, D.C., and I'm here with Lynn, Lynn Coplitz. Give us a call if you have something about space that inspires you, science or space or science in general. If you're an artist in particular, or if you're just somebody on or the street, or a writer, or right? Poet. Exactly. Tell us I want to creatively. I, I want to hear what it is that might influence you, because we'll hear more from Peter from Peter Max, learning about how science infused his creativity. Our toll free number is one eight seven seven five Star Talk, and we are live streamed on the web on StarTalkRadio.net. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. And you've been gone for a couple of weeks. I'm so happy to have you back. I'm happy to be back. Neil, now, uh, before we move on, I want to go back to Leonardo da Vinci for a minute. And yeah. We were talking about bodies and the bodies exhibit. Because he dug up bodies to get the artistic form of what he drew. Right. And then on the break, the, we were talking about the bodies exhibit now. Yeah, during the break, yeah. And then you told me a little something that I didn't know, which was that those were prisoners, like yeah. Chinese We're prisoners. told that the bodies on display in in the bodies exhibition, which is shown in many cities now, were were not necessarily people who donated their bodies to this cause, that they were the, the bodies of prisoners. Who oh, were that's much executed. better then. I like that better. <laughs> so it became a little, a little controversial because... Because the prisoner might not have had a choice in the matter. Who cares? He was a prisoner. No, I'm just saying. I'm, done, I'm just not voting for sides here. I'm just saying that it may be as controversial as it was in Leonardo's day when he's digging up cadavers. Now, without was it the controversial cadavers. when he was digging them up? Yes, he was. You dig up a body and the body is a sacred burial grounds in a churchyard or wherever people were. Of course. 
But people didn't. People did. They didn't. Did I, they know I don't he think was doing that? He did it in the he dark. He did it of late night. at night, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. With an assistant who made nothing, probably. <laughs> and you, you know, one of the most famous illustrations from uh, Leonardo's era is that you know the Vitruvian Man. Have you ever seen this? Is that the one with the man in the circle in the square? Exactly. Exactly. He's hot. It's, <laughs> What? I mean, seriously. Okay, I never thought of it that way. It's just like a little homunculus inside of a circle. I just like from back then, everything's got abs. (laughs) Jesus, Vitruvian Man. That's true, yeah. Well, because it's drawn by people who like muscles. And I've never been to Pittsburgh. (laughs) I have no... There's no abs in Pittsburgh. No abs in Pittsburgh. You just performed there a few weeks ago. Yeah, the great sports teams, but no abs. The sports players have the abs, (laughs) not the the viewers. Yes, exactly. So... That's going to be on their next like the uh, tourist motto. <laughs> Visit Pittsburgh, no abs. Don't worry about your abs. Come to Pittsburgh. <laughs> so, so talk to me Vitruvian about Vitruvian Man. Man. So th- here's here's where you get into trouble because if you if you have an aesthetic, uh, no, okay, but if you want to believe that somehow the human form is some epitome of aesthetics. This is what went into the Vitruvian Man, and so you you we all remember this image. It's this man with his arms outstretched and his legs slightly parted, and it's a perfect circle drawn around him, and the arms are just touching the edge of the circle, and his feet are at the bottom of the circle. So you're saying this isn't just art. This was to prove something. It's to prove that the human form had some aesthetic beauty to it because the circle was a thing of beauty. And in the center of that circle, you know what was there? His wee-wee? No, (laughs) his belly button. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Okay. So what we... Oh, I'm sorry. What we learned... thinking about... (laughs) What we learned was that... Some people don't have those proportions. It was assumed that your your distance from fingertip to fingertip equaled your height. And then that was oh. considered the ideal form. And then you actually measure people. And some people's hands are shorter. Some are longer. Mine are actually especially long. Some people have what you have a, a, a high ape index. It's what's been joked about. If your arms are really long compared to your body height, my arms are a foot longer than my height. So I can touch your nose sitting right where I am right now. Without... How do you know that? Well, because you know. So the point is in no, that no, circle. No, no, you don't know. Did you measure them? Measure my arm. The distance from fingertip to fingertip, yeah. You're hilarious. Yeah, it's 84 inches. And so that's <laughs> so I'm just telling you that that's it's not not everybody. I'm not alone in but those who don't fit the circle now. Right. They were smaller then. Yeah. But pr- if it's in proportion, it's just a bigger circle. Everything would be in proportion. So that didn't really turn out the way anyone had hoped. But it remains an iconic vision. It remains an iconic vision of what humans would have looked like. And then there's this thing with the golden ratio. You remember that? Many no, people have heard that? of it, but don't quite remember it. It has a mathematical form. I'll tell you what it is mathematically, okay. but it's more interesting artistically. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, really? <laughs> Mathematics is not more interesting than art. Hmm. That's a new idea. All right. So if you take a, a line segment, and you could split it exactly in half if you wanted, right? And then it'd be half and half. But if you don't split it in half and make one segment a little longer than the other, okay, you want to cut it into two pieces where... A plus B divided by B. Tell me more. A plus B divided by B mm-hmm. is in the same ratio as A to B, as B is to A. Now that's what it is arithmetically. Okay, so now you can write that out as an equation. It's one plus the square root of five divided by two to one. Okay? Neil, I, I'm so sorry. I don't want to be disrespectful, but I'm going to shoot myself in the face if you keep. Talking. What What does this mean? I'm just saying. So if you if you do the math, you get a ratio of one to about one point six. In other words, back then, back then, if you designed form, you would design oh. it so that the base was one point six units long and the height was one unit high, and that would feel aesthetically pleasing to you. And that was called the golden ratio. Oh, that's very now. That's very interesting. You know what they've done lately? They measure. They do that with your face. Exactly, too? they're measuring people's faces, the width of the face, and the height of the face, and the nose to the eyes to the mouth. And the claim is, those people where those measurements capture the golden ratio are considered more beautiful than other. I was going to say that's very creepy because that's good, like that movie Gattaca. That's saying Gattaca. that those people are oh. more perfect. Well, wow, this is the the one where they make the genetically choose yeah. your offspring. So you choose one that has more golden ratios, and then more people will think yeah, you're but, attractive. But that's not fair either because in, in different cultures and different places the ratios are going to be different right um like if you go to africa facial features are going to be different than facial features maybe in certain parts of well this is the challenge eastern they claim they've done it for people all around the world and everyone focuses back on this golden ratio i i have my i'm suspicious of it but but i'm just reporting what they've what they've said and it's it's fascinating that there might be some genetic a little arian to me i don't like it (laughs) that there might be some genetic propensity for that I don't like it. And you know, do you know about the? Um, uh, not only that, in in Da Vinci's most famous painting is what? Do you know what his most famous painting is? 
Oh, don't do this to me. You make me feel stupid. Mona Lisa? The Mona Lisa, of course. I have that in my room. She looks like a dude. You have a copy of the Mona Lisa. Let's get that yeah, straight. Yeah, well, not the real one. I mean, I live in a three-floor three, walk-up that smells like trash and says, wash me on the Sharpie marker on the wall. So, I don't think the real Mona Lisa's in my apartment. So, what, she, she, she looks masculine to you? Yeah, she looks like a dude. Well, you know what they found? They were able to study the painting. You can expose it to a certain wavelength of light that penetrates the top surface of paint, and you can see a whole other paint, a whole other illustration below it. And it's rumored oh. that that was uh, a, a, a self-portrait of Leonardo himself. That was the first attempt at whatever he was doing on that canvas. Oh, and then he painted like his his inner Mona Lisa. Oh well, I don't know. <laughs> Is that why you think he looks like a? She looks like a dude. I didn't know that. I mean, until you just said it. But yeah, she does look like it. I look at her every morning. She's right over, like in front of my bed, and yeah. she looks like a dude. Yeah. Well. Okay, so a sweet dude. So this is Leonardo dude. in drag, is what you're saying? Yeah, I'm just saying it was a little <laughs> bit like there was a review back then. <laughs> but but um, yeah, because she's got kind of a thick like forehead, and she's kind of cross. I, I gotta a look again. Bit. I gotta look again to check she's a that out. Little Liza Minnelli-ish. <laughs> Put her in a review. Is that in <laughs> exactly. Vegas? Uh, let's as you as, you're listening to Star Talk Radio, and for this episode, I spent some quality time with Peter Max, pop artist from the 1960s, and he's still at it right on through to today. And let's see what more he has to say about how the universe has inspired him. He's interesting. We are part of something that is so enormously big. You know, when you talked about the molecules in one glass of water, there are more molecules in one glass of water than there are glasses of water on planet Earth. Well, that line that you gave me about this feeds me for the next six months. I want to think about this at least once a day. I love it so much. Well, I'm happy to be your fuel supply. <laughs> so let me ask you, are you, are you more influenced by science Directly, or is there a bit of philosophy that folds in? There's science. There's the mystery of the science because there is so much more we don't know than we do know, and we do know a lot, and so that we must uh, probably not know a billion times as much. But it's wonderful what we do know. But I was also lucky in 1966, just about the same time, I met a Swami, a holy man from India. So you would use pure science as your source of objects and imagery, but the philosophy is a means of how you would interpose them. Yes, yes. So it was nice. Through meditation, I was able to get very, very peaceful and quiet, but through looking at the universe, I would get excited. And so in between, the peacefulness and the universe is where the art world lived. That's Peter Max. He's just so in tune with his own sense of art and self and science. He sounds so like like a cool hippie guy, like very like down to earth he's and st- calm. He calms me just listening. Yeah, to him. isn't it? He's got one of these calming voices. It's so it's so it's so beautiful. And you too. The two of you are like a glass of warm milk and a cookie. <laughs> You're listening to Star Talk Radio. Our phone number is one eight seven seven five Star Talk. If there's some aspect of science that uh, has influenced you uh, inspirationally as a creative person or just in your thoughts, uh, give us a call. Uh, we have Nancy from Santa Monica. Nancy, you're live on Star Talk. Hi, Nancy. Hi. 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 So uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm dabbling in art. I'm actually an environmental scientist, but I, I like art a lot, and I've observed a lot of artists who've been inspired by environmental science. And I thought I'd just share this something with you. Um, we have a bunch of art galleries here in Santa Monica called um, Bergamot Station, and there is this really cool exhibit on hyperbolic crochet. And what this is, you guys were talking about Leonardo da Vinci and mm-hmm. perspective, right? Well, that's about flat planes as a geometry. Um, well, apparently, there, you know, there's another kind of geometry that, that was, I guess, driving mathematicians crazy, the hyperbolic space, um, which is the geometric opposite of a sphere. And um, I guess I, I was so, I was so taken by this that I actually photographed the caption here. So in 1997, there was the Cornell mathematician who was trying to figure out how to model this geometry, and so you wind up crocheting it, and you wind up finding that corals, kelp, sponges, all these, all these different kind of anatomical features are actually hyperbolic geometry. So these artists have gotten together and crocheted these incredible kind of landscapes um, of these of these um, objects with hyperbolic crochet. And I was an exhibit at Bergamot Station. So there are so, a lot of children now going around without mittens because the crochet effort is going to art. I love crochet, and it's very difficult, but it does have a lot of that spiral, and it is very interesting. So are you saying that crochet is the natural artistic way to express these forms in nature? Um, 
Well, no, crochet was a technique that humans could use to, to model this geometry, which was very hard to do um, uh, mathematically um, otherwise, or I guess even on the computer. So well, well, that's very cool. And so anyone near Santa Monica, go check it out, definitely. That sounds so interesting. I'm going to look it up online. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, you know what I like about yeah. that, too, mm-hmm. is because if you're using um, yarn or whatever, is what you use a rope to crochet, that is also going. That's great for studying the body too, because it it is like tendons and muscles. Oh, how, to, how it holds together yeah, and how it doesn't. Yeah, you can pull it you know? and make twisted and make it do things that you can't do with just charcoal and. So you brings you'd, in perspective. You'd use yarn as a substitute for muscle. It brings in. <laughs> shut up, Neil. I have lots of crocheted things in my. I just told Neil to shut up. One other Sorry. thing about perspective. Another very famous painting is uh, the Last Supper. The Last Supper. It's one oh, of the Jesus's most famous. dinner party. Je- Jesus's Last Supper, and they call it supper rather than dinner. I was. I like to call it Jesus's <laughs> dinner party. Last I just dinner. love a man that throws a dinner party at the end. And if you look at that, there there are lines of perspective that reach what they call a vanishing point, and the vanishing point is where all the lines that would are horizontal in a room or in a painting end up focusing down in the backdrop of the painting, and it focuses right on Jesus's eye. Really, that's yeah. very interesting. So wherever you are in the painting, the lines take you right to the center of his face, and so for those of who, those who don't know, when you're when you're drawing or painting perspective, a vanishing point is the one of the first things you you draw, so that you can because everything then, else everything comes works off into of that, that. works exactly. into that exactly. So that's exactly. very interesting that the vanishing point. So that was no accident that the vanishing point was Jesus's eye. No accident at all, and plus his twelve dinner guests. And he was the center of the whole thing. So we we cool. we have a tweet. Uh, but you can tweet us at Star Talk Radio. Uh, we have a tweet. Uh, someone asks, "Do you think Georgia O'Keeffe's paintings are a combination of science and art?" And, and anatomy. <laughs> they're vagina. No, they're they? flowers. They're vagina flowers. They're v- Get oh come on, they're vagina flowers, <laughs> they're Tweeter. Flowers. They are not flowers. Look at them. I'm, oh please. Okay. Look into those flowers. They're not just flowers. You know what, Neil? Okay, okay. I'm just oh wait. I'm this just. This is what annoys me about I'm men. Just try, right sometimes there. a flower is just a flower. flower. Well, sometimes it <laughs> needs you to look for the G spot on it. So- <laughs> So, uh, so what we're saying is Georgia O'Keeffe took the flowers of the Southwest and folded them with her knowledge of human anatomy to create a whole new expression of uh, a whole other way to communicate with the viewer. Yeah, I think it's what George O'Keefe and uh, many artists do, and great artists do, is that they, are, they make you look at something a different way. Well, they make you see the other possibilities in it. I, then that uh, okay, all right. I'll give, I'll give other possibilities. Yeah, and it, I think Leonardo did that. I think all the great artists and painters, and and they've all done that. And writers, they've taken things that everybody looks at every day, and they they've twisted it and showed you other sides to it. We've got another tweet. Uh, they're asking, is the golden ratio, which we talked about a moment ago, only about aesthetics, or is it hmm. indicative of the health? Of an organism, and that's a fascinating. What a point. great question! What kind of geniuses do we have listening to the show? My family's clearly not tuning in. So, no. What's good about that is if if the if that aesthetic if the aesthetic is sort of hardwired into our brain, and we identify beauty that way, and then you turn ill, or you something happens to your bodily form. Don't put the horns on me. You pointed at me. No, and if you turn ill, then your body starts taking a shape that does not fulfill that. Golden ratio, and you bec- and you look less attractive to others. It's a fascinating concept there. So maybe it is hard. I'm I mean, angry. Uh, so my I, I, so my question is, I don't know the answer to that, but it's an intriguing like osteoporosis. Yeah, exactly. Your your bones start t- becoming misshapen, and you no longer fulfill the golden ratio. Well, I think there should be a golden ratio for different ages. <laughs> okay. So there should be like a silver ratio, a platinum ratio. Yeah, just like the average, what your average weight should be or whatever. It should just be like, here's the, right, the silver ratio. That's an gold. excellent, excellent thought. The platinum. Excellent thought. We've got some more of my uh, interview with Peter Max. I was in his studio uh, in New York City, and he's got this huge studio where he's, he's still painting. He's still doing it. The guy is still doing Why it. Why did I get to go to this? Well, I'll take you I'm, to my thing. <laughs> Well, I love Peter Max. You didn't ask. Let's see what more Peter Max has to tell me. While I was a realist and I started painting realism like Michelangelo, I couldn't get any work. I did. There were no galleries were interested in it, no museums, nothing. And I used to sit in a little cafe, which back then was almost like what is a Starbucks today, and I would make my astronomical drawings every day because I loved it. And I had maybe a hundred little drawings with me. And one day, an art director said to me, 
Peter, what's this on the bottom of your portfolio? And I go, oh, oh, it's nothing, because I was shy. I was a realist. I was a classical guy. Because at the top of your portfolio was all your realistic Yeah, I wanted to be like Michelangelo. I wanted to be revered as like, I because I was so good in realism. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, and uh, one day he said to me, what's this on the bottom of your portfolio? I said, no, it's nothing. It's nothing. And he insisted I take it out. And when he looked at it, he went, oh, my God, this stuff looks unbelievable. Hey, guys, fellas. Uh, girls, come over here. See what this guy does. And I walked out of there for the first time in my life with 14 projects that paid like, you know, a few hundred dollars each, which was today like a few thousand each. And when I delivered them about 10 days later, I walked out of there with 22 projects. And in the next 18, 20 months, I won 66 gold medals in art and design for my creativity and for my inventiveness. And I suddenly realized that the stuff I was doing, which was these cosmic characters and cosmic stars and cosmic runners and all these characters with wings that I invented only because of my interest in in the space area, that I invented characters that lived there that really weren't anything I could see in the regular world. So it's fair to say that the universe birthed your career as an artist. Completely. So you want to be a great artist? Study the universe. That's the... I think that's very cool that that's his inspiration. Yeah, and so rather, it wouldn't have to be the universe in particular, but I think it's fair to say that you can be a new kind of an artist, or as an artist you can reach another dimension of reality if you come to it with some kind of science literacy. Is that fair? Well, I think it is fair, but I think the other thing that our show keeps bringing up is that science makes you ask questions. Mm -hmm. It keeps you asking questions. Probing the nature of reality. A creative person keeps asking questions, it keeps broadening their... You know their view of things, and that's what happened to him. He kept asking questions, and he kept creating these characters and people built on that. And it's not just science ideas; it's actually there's math even beyond the golden, the golden ratio that we talked about earlier. There's algebra. So uh, there's a branch. Well, look of, at the Matrix. Well, <laughs> right, movies and things right, are being right. built a- around this whole thing now. Exactly, and there's a, there's a branch of algebra called linear algebra, which is not, you don't normally greet that in in high school but you you can take classes in it in college where there are 3d computer games that are enabled because of a huge mathematical engine that's driving them oh yeah i guess so yeah no so that's how grand theft auto (laughs) i i I don't know because of science and math you can kill a hoe (laughs) and steal a car I haven't checked the math engine on that on that on, on that particular game. But, you know but, but it me? allows them. What it does is they're trying to create a, a, a virtual world for you that you move through. And if you're stealing cars in it, fine, that's your virtual world. But the perspective that changes as you run down the street and as doorways open and as car doors show up, they have to calculate. I know at every split second what the new scene looks like as you oh. travel through that. And, and world. what it will look like if you do this move or that move. Exactly. They don't be, know what you're going to do. They don't know what you're going to do next. So it has to be ready for that, and that's a computing power. Oh, that's true. I play Lara Croft Tomb Raider, and when you dive in the water, all of a sudden you're in the ocean, and wanna, the music stops. Do you want to be Lara Croft? Um, no, she's way too active. She was. I had to. I I gotta admit, I liked the movie when I, I saw did, it. I did, but she the video good. game is very active and annoying. At one point, I just started jumping off the side. <laughs> okay. But but here is what concerns me yeah. as an as an actress, aspiring actress in mm-hmm. comic. Um. You know, CGI now, computer graphic imaging is really taking over. I went to see Bolt, the 3D, yeah. when it was 3D with my friend's... Um, Bolt is the, with the dog? Yeah, yeah with my okay. friend's sons. And um, <laughs> I have to grab little kids from out of nowhere so I can go to these <laughs> movies and not look scary. But um, And I went to see it. It was great. But when I was a kid, 3D movies were not as intense as they are now. I mean, they're so realistic. Right. And as an actress, it started bothering me, Neil, because I started thinking, wow, when are we going to fade out? Like the way talkies took over silent films. Right, right. Like I'm finally getting acting roles, and I'm done. <laughs> what, They're going to start just drawing people. Yeah, you draw people and anim- animate them in 3D, and then they won't need you anymore. So isn't there a chance that, that regular actors and actresses are going to become obsolete? Well, you know what they can do? They can fully scan your body in various motions and then fully get you to read like a whole encyclopedia of words. And then they have all your vocabulary, they have all your body motions, and they can just cast you in a 3D animated fo- So animated they might movie. not need us anymore. No. Yeah, you just sort of sell your body that one time. And then they're used. You get used later on. Yeah. Well, I know there are people in LA listening to the show right now. If this scares you because you're waiting <laughs> tables and you're thinking, "What now?" Call us at eight seven seven five Star Talk. If you're worried about being out of a job, is that? What's yeah, <laughs> I mean, some of the science stuff the, when it comes into the creative form it scares me because, like, for example, I don't like new digital film. I hate it. 
nude digital no, film? No, the digital film versus like 16 millimeter oh, things. Oh, okay. Let's shoot everything on digital. Now all of a sudden, I don't want to see people with lines in their face. I can see that in a mirror myself. <laughs> I want pretty people. Okay. I want the old grainy imaging. I want the Barbara Walters lens that looks like it's got Vaseline <laughs> over it. That's what the I soft want. soft focus lens. <laughs> yes, that- thank you. Well, you know, photography is a, you know... <laughs> It's. <laughs> Did I make you nervous? No, no, I no, name. All of a sudden, Neil's like, "I'm never going to be on the View." Right. What is Linda? I know. We're going we're gonna to go to break, and we're going to come back. We're <laughs> give us a call one eight seven seven five Star Talk, and we're tweetable at Star Talk Radio, and uh, we'll be right back. And we're going to talk about photography in the universe and how that's inspired whole generations of artists and movements, social movements, simply because of images we've obtained from the night sky. See you in a minute. Star Talk Radio, Neil Tyson on the line here. We've got uh, Lynn Coplitz, my co-host, Lynn. Hello. Hello. We've got a caller who called into one eight seven seven five star talk with our question. Has sci- They have a question about the relationship between science and art and inspiration. Who, awesome. who is the muse for whom? We have Rick from L.A. Rick, you're live on Star Talk. Hi, Rick. Hey, how you guys doing today? Do- well, thank you. We're doing good. How are you doing, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> Big fan, big fan. Oh, uh, thank you. So, what you got for us? Uh, well, I was, you're, you know, you're talking about how um, how uh, science has inspired art over the years, and I was just wondering if you could think of any examples where uh, art has inspired science. Oh, that's a good Ooh. question, Rick. Ooh, well, or scientific discovery. Yeah, let me. Here's the best I could do for you. There, for example, before the era of photography, when people nonetheless had telescopes and they wanted to be able to tell others about what they saw, they had to draw what they saw. So they needed an artistic talent just to communicate their science to other people. And if they were not good at at their art, they'd be showing something that was not really what they saw to other people. And that would confound any attempt to have sort of a level-headed assessment of what was going on. Well, also, the constellations... At first, they, they, they came up with, like, what the stars, they came up with pictures, correct? Yeah, but there's no science anywhere in that. No, there's just... There's myth- stars. Mythologi- well, no, no they're, they're connected dots points. That's where, I mean, they are, they are scientific subjects themselves, but all, things we would only learn much later, long after anyone was drawing pictures with them. Okay, so Rick, the question, the answer is we don't really know. No, no, wait, no, no, I, uh, let me, no, let me offer a little insight. I can say <laughs> that artists... Uh, not to speak for artists, because I don't claim myself among them, although my brother's an artist, uh, I can say that all artists I know are driven, often, if not all the time, by some aesthetic. And it's the aesthetic that drives, that, that fuels their attempt to, to create a form. And I can tell you, without hesitation, that as a scientist, we approach the universe, we approach the natural world with a similar expectation that what we're going to discover is something aesthetically pleasing, something beautiful, something that will make you say that is nature at its finest. And so I can tell you that we share a common driver, but whether or not there's some art that inspired a scientific discovery, it may be that well, it doesn't... Also, just- if you're talking about what kind of art you're talking about, because we've already discussed on this show that there are films that have probably, in television programs like Star Trek, that have inspired scientists. Exactly. So what happens there is the Close art encounters. triggers someone to be interested in a subject because exactly. it, it affects them in an emotional way, and then they become charged, and then they want to learn about the science. I think so what we're saying is we all need each other. Okay. Kumbaya. Hold, hold. <laughs> so, Rick, thanks for calling in. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. And we still, we still have some more from Peter Max. Uh, Peter, Peter Max, you got to love him. You, and like you said, Lynn, he's, he's such, a, such a soothing voice. I could just yeah. listen to him all day. He's like Venus Flytrap. Remember the him on uh, yeah, WKRP scary, right? in Cincinnati? <laughs> They've got that really smooth age. Let's see what more he's got to tell us. Peter I was in Cleveland. I had an art show. And I wake up in the morning, and, so, and I go back to sleep, and I wake up again about 10.30, and I'm flip-flopping around the TV set, and suddenly I see Neil Tyson with his khaki pants rolled up past his knees, squatting down, lifting up a handful of sand, and saying, you see all the sand? There are 10,000 beaches in the world. They're like 10 or 20 miles long. And then he lifts up another big 
pile full of sand, and he said, as it's running through his fingers, he says, for every grain of sand that we have on these 10,000 beaches, there are more planets in the universe. And I meant, oh my God, I can't, it, this is so big, it's so gigantic that all the grains of sands in 10,000 beaches that are like probably 10 feet deep and 10 to 20 miles long, that there are more planets than this. The first thing I looked is for my phone. I found Neil Tyson's phone number, <laughs> and I called him up and said, is this real? He said to me, he said to me it's probably bigger than that. <laughs> well, I'm honored to have blown your mind without drugs. How, how, what do you think of that? It is like there's nothing that's nicer to be blown away by than the cosmos, the universe, these complete unbelievable facts that exists and the more you think about it the more you dream about the more it starts making sense and you still know that you're just this little microscopic little thing in the universe thinking about all the bigness the the largest thing i mean isn't it true now that because of this thing they call the string theory they think that there could be other universes are there a couple of ideas that lead to the idea that there could be a multiverse and we're just one bubble within an uncountable number of other cosmos just like when hubble discovered the first few galaxies exactly and now they're discovering maybe more universes it's philosophically the same thing because back then we imagined it was only one galaxy and then he discovered a universe of galaxies yeah you gotta there must must be a place you can hide it is too big (laughs) it's too big to imagine you know sometimes you got to take a tranquilizer to calm it down it's just so amazing okay now i didn't think this could happen but peter max made me like you more really So I got got dibs from Peter Max, and now it's... He actually makes you sound even cooler. Okay. I didn't know he'd go off on that that way. I was just trying to get some... so sweet that you touched him so much. ...content for our show, but I didn't know that. And he's an amazing artist, an amazing influence and person, and that's really neat. Yeah, you know... I have a homeless person in my neighborhood who says I really inspired him. (laughs) Was that that guy that was on on the sidewalk when I visited you the other day? (laughs) It was the lady who wears these big, crazy Erica Badu wraps in her hair. Yes. So photography can inspire people. Do you remember? Well, if you, I don't know how old you are, Lynn, but in the nineteen in nineteen sixty eight, Apollo eight went to the moon. It didn't land, but it actually circled the moon and came back and took a picture of Earthrise above the lunar landscape. I was very little when that happened. Okay, Neil. but you've certainly seen that photo. It's called yes. Earthrise. By the way, Earth does not rise on the moon because the moon doesn't rotate compared to the Earth. So Earth is just always in the sky. So the the the, the picture. Is, is misrepresents what actually happens on the moon. It rose because they're in orbit around the moon when they took the picture. That's what, the, just okay, so you know. that's great. Yeah, thanks. But okay, um, well, now, I'm just saying. Is a moon, no, no, no I'm saying that's great, thanks. Um, is a moon camera different than a regular camera? It's bigger and more expensive and take better pictures than most cameras you'll ever see in your life. Do you have one? No, I don't, no. You do, don't you? No. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that picture who, that showed Earth, yeah. without any lines of continents or states or cities, it was just this blue orb juxtaposed as part of the scenery of another world, transformed our understanding of our place in the universe. And the modern green movement is traceable to that photograph. And so there's there's scientific photograph that became iconic art that influenced a generation of people to take action. I just had to share that with you. Now, the Im- Hubble images and things, are the, is that the same kind of camera? I, uh, Hubble, no, it's a digital camera. That was a regular sort of film camera back in the days of Apollo 8. And now Hubble pictures is, is digital. It's, it's a very expensive version of the detector that's in the camera that all of us have, the digital cameras that we all use. It's called a CCD, charge-coupled device camera. So I'm just, you asked. I'm just telling you. You, you asked. I, did I volunteer that? You LOL. asked. All right. <laughs> you asked. And so the Hubble photos are, are today's generation of exposure to the rest of the world. And Which so, are better? Oh, definitely digital pictures are far superior. Because they're more accurate. They're, they're, they, they, they're far superior. But they're not as romantic. Well, you know, where I'm a Luddite. In terms of romance, do you know there's a scene in the, in the Carl Sagan film Contact? I don't know if you saw the film. Yes, of you course. remember where Jodie Foster was taken by the aliens into their distant land? Yeah. And she's looking and it's so beautiful. And you remember what she says? No. She says, because she's, she's speechless by the beauty of it all. She says, they should have sent a poet. Aww. Yeah. That's that's just. But that's poetical in itself. Poetical or political? Whatever, poetical. <laughs> I'm just and other thing. I, really, I, Neil? I, I'm a big fan. I'm of, not Peter Max. You better watch what you say. I'm I'm a big fan of Van Gogh's Starry Night. Oh, you think? It's been inspired a song. Just Starry, so everyone knows. Sorry, Who doesn't Starry know Night. Neil? Neil has Starry Night stuff all over his office. 
everywhere, like pillows, books, which is great because it's beautiful. And it was the cover of one of my books, too. I Because it's a Star Night. It's an artist who he could have named that painting Sleepy Village. Neil, or, you know what? Or, we or, had this or, argument before. No, well, he couldn't. Yes, it's he all could've. stars in the sky. It's about the sky, not about I, the village. I, I'm agreeing. So the man came through. I'm totally with you on that. And then there's other art that gets inspired. You know, the, the ceiling of the of Grand Central Terminal? You know, yeah. The, the, you, the, yeah, you took me there and showed the you, ceiling to me. Yeah, well, I, you didn't need me to take you there. It's, it's Grand Central Terminal. That, I know, but I never really looked up at it until you took me there. Oh, that's different. Okay, so that ceiling, did you know that all the stars are backwards? That pissed me off when I and discovered that. And who did that? that? What was that? What was What's that the artist guy's? Name? I forgot this. Paul Hale from 1912. Was he dyslexic? French artist. I think he he was not sufficiently scientifically literate to know that the image of the sky he was looking at in a map was the reverse of what he had to put on the on, on the ceiling. Of or the he grid. might have been dyslexic now. You know, it can't be that dyslexic. Dyslexic is flip a few letters or a few words, not an entire sky. So there's no excuse. I don't forgive him at all. I wonder if he still got paid. And, <laughs> and you know, with those Hubble photos, some of the colors are vivid. They're, they, they can represent colors that you would see if your eyes were huge and if your retina was sensitive to the filters that the Hubble telescope uses. You wouldn't necessarily see what Hubble sees. You would, however, if you've got – if you can – uh, tune your eyeballs in the way we tune the Hubble telescope. I don't get that. What does that mean? So it means the colors that I think I see on there are not the colors that really uh, is if I'm in, up in space? That's great. If you had special eyeballs, you would see it that way. You would see it just that way. We have feeble eyeballs. So in space, it, when I see it, if I was in spacecraft looking at it, it wouldn't look like that. No, it would look like something else that was commensurate with your eyeballs. But in Hubble, we want to see... That's aggravating. Well, I'm sorry, but it's just, you know, what happens when people put on makeup before they get photographed? It's not what you really look like. It's something else. I'm just letting you know. But if you were there on the planet, would it look like that? It would look like, different. Is Mars really red? Yes. Yes. <laughs> you, you like like you're getting angry with me. Because I just we got one more clip. Of, let's get a fast clip of Peter Max. Uh, our final clip with him. Let's see what Maury has to tell us about how he's been inspired by science. How much he loves you. I want to make an animated film. I told you about it a little earlier, okay. and this film has a lot to do with the universe, and it's with like you know us suddenly connecting with another species from far, far away who will have some common interest with us. And it's a beautiful, it's a musical. It's a two-hour musical. And I'm about maybe halfway through designing it, conceiving it, and I'm going to go to some of my friends in Hollywood and see how I can get it made. Well, we got to get you back when that yes. comes out. Yes. Listen, Peter Max, it's been great having you on Star Talk, and thanks for your hospitality, inviting me into your studio where I'm inundated by paintings ready to fall on me. This place is, is this place. You need like three more floors of this warehouse. Thank you, thank you. We just have a couple of floors here with about a hundred people, but it's my playground. I in the morning, I can't wait to get here. At night, I don't want to leave. <laughs> That's how all jobs should be. Peter Max, thanks for being on thank Star you, Talk. Thanks. That was Peter Max. I love you him. Know, oh my God. So you, how about, why do you love all the guests that I have on, on the interview? You, well, I don't love, I think he's my new favorite. Okay. Until our, our guest next week. She's my real favorite, <laughs> okay. but it's really awesome. So did, I don't know if you know that NASA is not unmindful of the fact that art matters in our culture and in society. So they, it's not just fighter pilots, flyboys, and scientists they send into space. Um, they send artists? Well, no, they don't send artists into space, not yet. But there's, a, there's an arts in space program where... Artists are invited to capture so the discoveries of NASA, the voyages of NASA, That's in whatever great. is their artistic means of expression. And it was started in 1962, and they've commissioned artists such as Norman Rockwell and, and others, and it, and it chronicles the history of space exploration through the eyes of artists and others. And there's more than 2,000 works of art by 350 artists in their archive. It's That's interesting. And listen, next week, this has been a great show, but next week, tonight, we need everyone to watch the Joan Rivers Rose. Joan Rivers is being roast. She's a buddy of yours. She's apparently. my dear friend, and she's on our show next week. Uh, yes, indeed. Thanks to your connections. I could have never had access to this we woman. We had so much fun with She's her. an icon of comedic. She's going to be riffing on all the science that we're trying to take seriously here and tell us where that fits and where it sits. You've been listening to Star Talk Radio. Good show, Neil. Funded by the National Science Foundation. We'll see you next week. Cheers.